All right, now back with me, and I'm honored to say this, making his ninth appearance with me here on Next on the Tee is Owen Brown. Let me remind you about Owen's background. He's from Washington, D.C., played his college golf out at Occidental College in L.A., joined the golf team as a sophomore and gradually moved up to be their number one player. He was named first team all-conference, that's all S-E-I-A-C golfer, in 1980 and 1982. And he was inducted into their Golf Hall of Fame in 1997. And their Golf Annual MVP Award is now named in his honor. He turned pro in 1984. He won four times out on the Corn Ferry Tour, twice in 1991, and once in 93, and once in 96. He won three times out on the regular tour, out at the Greater Hartford Open in 1998. He also won the 1999 Colonial and the 2005 Deutsche Bank Championship. In 2005, he won the PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year Award. Over the course of his playing career, he's had five wins, 48 top 10 finishes, and 110 top 25s. Included in those five wins are two so far out on the Champions Tour, including the 2011 U.S. Senior Open and the 2015 Greater Gwinnett Championship here in Atlanta. He's gotten off to a hot start so far on the Champions Tour this season with a tie for 11th in their last event, the Color Guard Classic, back in February. I'm rooting hard for him every week, and I'm very thrilled he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Owen, how are you, my friend? Chris, you, take a breath, man. It's amazing how you do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank, thanks for such a nice intro. Great to be back with you. How are you, my friend? What's been going on with you? What's up with this layoff? I don't understand. What's going on in the I Champions am, uh, Tour schedule? I'm trying to recover from not doing anything for two weeks. It's awful. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> had, had an awfully slow start to the season. I uh, I got a nice invitation, late invitation to uh, Walleye. And then we had, well, so we played our last event in, in uh, November. Then then the, the, the next event or first event of the year was the third week of January. Then we had a month off and went out. So I'm play for a week, and we've had six weeks off. So, uh, just getting ready to gear up again, going to uh, Chubb next week uh, in Naples, and then then we get a nice run. We get a week off again, believe it or not, like we need it. And then it's in Faraday, and then uh, Birmingham for the tradition, and then uh, up to uh, Atlanta for Mitsubishi, which is uh, it was a nice start to the year. Why all the layoffs, though? It, might, it seems like a lot of start and stops here uh, over the last several months. It, it seems sort of odd. Is there a reason behind that? Is that just how it seemed to work out? Well, I mean, we we uh, we tend to have a fairly slow start to the season anyway. But due to COVID considerations, we've you know lost a couple of tournaments this year and have shuffled a couple of others around to try and accommodate sponsors and fans and so forth. So. Uh, the schedule is going to be fairly tightly packed as soon as we kick into gear, but getting into gear has been a, a little bit of a challenge. And like we say, as we look ahead a, a few weeks to the Chubb Classic, that's an event you've had some success at in the past. You were, were actually in a three-way playoff there back in 2019. I, I, with all of the, the time off, so do you feel confident? Do, does that course suit your eye and you feel good heading into it? We've got a new venue this year. We played uh, Laley Resort the last couple of years. Um, and we're moving over to the other golf course at Tiburon. They play the, uh, Franklin Templin, was Franklin Templin is called, uh, oh gosh, it's a, uh, uh, an Australian company now, uh, the Shark Shootout, uh, at the, at, they're both Greg Norman's design, but, but they have 36 holes there and, uh, we're playing the other golf course. So, uh, I haven't seen it. I've heard great things about it. I really, I like Greg Norman, uh, 
design golf courses, and I'm looking forward to going over. Speaking of that, you, your uh, affinity to his designs, is there a particular golf architect, uh, golf course architect that, that you really like, whether it's just because of uh, how the course is laid out, the tradition of it, you know, that sort of thing? Does, does, other than Norman, is there an architect that, boy, I, you just really admire, you know, his, his or her work? Well, I think that, the, you know, the classics are classic for a reason. They're classic because they've stood the test of time. There's history. There's uh, they're they're on prime pieces of property, and so you, you know you look at you know the courses designed by Harry Colt and Alistair McKenzie and Donald Ross and uh, C. B. McDonald and people like that, um, Deborah Emmett, and uh, they're just tend to gravitate towards the older school style of play. Um, shot values had such a such a they were such importance. Uh, the the game has kind of leaving some of those courses behind and that may be a conversation for another another show but uh yeah i i tend to really love the old school you know i mean i love pebble beach and cypress point and seminole Pinehurst number two and uh there's so many great old courses on the other hand you know ben crenshaw gil hunt but corin crenshaw gil hunt they, they do great work nowadays too so there are definitely courses for eras it's like cars, you know. I mean, I'm not a car guy, but a 55 Corvette looks pretty good. <laughs> Indeed. So let, let's take that last comment and, and go with it a little bit, shot values and the artistic uh, piece of golf. It seems like we're losing some of that. The technology obviously is playing into it. The ball goes straighter than it, it ever has, goes further and straighter. The, equi- the equipment is allowing that to happen as well. Um, I think some of the concern about te- the technology is how far the golf ball flies and are we going to need the lengthen courses and is it going to make some uh you know out of date and, and no longer relevant so there's that yeah the, the other part of that is the artistic value and what you have to do and how you have to shape shots and you know some some holes you know require you to go left to right or right to left and you've got to get, get creative out there i think we're losing some of that as well thoughts well i mean uh, it's hard to argue that, you know, but this is historical, right? It goes back to, you know, Babe Ruth had the home run record and then Roger Maris broke it, but he broke it. He had eight more games to do it. And NFL season spanning to 17 games, records are going to drop left and right. Major League Baseball dropped the mound because hitters couldn't hit. They dropped the mound, what was it, six or eight inches? And that right. had an you know, that altering effect on, on the statistics and the record books. And so, I don't know. You know, this is a never-ending conversation. This is for sure bar talk. And, man, the further you get into the night, the longer and, and more acrimonious you get. But I tend I tend to uh, to subscribe to the theories uh, of yesteryear where, you know, the, the ball wanted to move offline and it was up to the – it was up to the driver to keep – keep the ball in play, you know, and I mean, I don't mean the driver as in the club, I mean the person swinging it, and, you know, we've we've gotten to a point where it's just rear back, swing as hard as you want. People say, well, this is nobody has ever been a bigger, stronger athlete than Jack Nicklaus. Nobody ever more athletic than Sam Snead. Nobody ever had more, has ever had more speed than Ben Hogan. So, you know, it's, it's an argument that it's recency bias, and it's, uh, you know, it falls on deaf ears when you try and make that point. I mean, it's a lot like the conversation between who's the greatest player of all. Is it Jack Nicholas? Is it Ben Hogan? Is it Tiger Woods? You know, 
certainly there's a lot more coverage lately, and you would have a whole host of people who would argue that Tiger Woods is the greatest player of all time. You know, and then you have people, especially from that era, who would say that Jack Nicklaus is. And then you go before Jack, and you say, well, Ben, nobody ever plays better golf than Ben Hogan. And yet, Byron Nelson is a guy who won more tournaments in a single season than any other player in history. So, I mean, this is this is eternal conversation and eternal back and forth. But I, I love old school, old school golf, and I love the, the shot values of you know a lot of ball. 30-mile-an-hour win, which modern players do not have to deal with. Yeah, and I just did well, one last point on this, but it, it feels like the same thing is happening in golf that's happening in baseball. Right? I mean, baseball has become a home-run strikeout game. There's no small ball. There's no, you know, when when I was you know, younger and watching, you know, the Cardinals with all the stolen bases and, you know, that sort of thing, and, uh, you know, that era of Ricky Henderson and Omar Moreno and Tim Raines stealing a hundred bases and, you know, the, the leadoff hitter getting on and the second place batter hitting behind them or laying down a bunch are all those sort of, you know, nuances of baseball. Now it's, you know, hitting 500 foot home runs or swinging hard three times and the ball didn't happen to get into the way, get in the way. And now I'm walking back to the dugout. I feel like the same thing is happening in golf. You know, now, you know, with Bryson hitting the ball, you know, 400 yards, and that sort of thing, and the ball goes straight. So, you know, there's, it's a bomb game, right? We, we hear bomb and gouge all the time in golf. It just feels like it's losing some of the artistry and the creativity that courses required back in the day. Now you just hit it right over. Artistry and creativity, Phil. But I don't think, I don't think that there's a penalty that, that's paid for, you know, the errant shot. So, okay, so the ball carries 300 yards, right? But a ball, a ball that's designed not to travel offline travels 1% offline, 300 yards, it's 30 yards offline. You know, in the old days, that ball would have been spinning sideways and would have ended up 75 yards offline, which is, you know, you don't see flyers anymore. Uh, the, the distance control is much easier. In fact, guys are trying to figure out a way to apply spin to the shorter shots as opposed to take off spin. But, you know, your point about baseball, you know, the problem is, is that, is that we live in an era where everybody's trying to cater to the fans, right? Instead of attracting the fans for the beauty of the game, you know, to your point about, about, about moving a guy over with a bunt, taking pitchers out of the game and having, um, designated hitters now throughout baseball, we lose an important strategic component to the game. But to your point, guys want to see a banger get up and launch one over the fence, you know, the short porch. I guess it used to be the short porch in Yankee Stadium or the Green Monster in Fenway, you know, and and, uh, and that's really all anybody has any interest in. And, and and we're losing touch with with things that made the little things, the subtleties that made the game great. Have that happen to it, but it certainly feels like for those of us who have kind of straddled eras that that it could be headed that direction. Oh, and getting back to golf and. I had the privilege of having Roger Chapman on the show last year. A wonderful guy, great champion. For those who aren't familiar with Roger, he won the Senior PGA Championship in the U.S. Senior Open in 2012, the year after Owen won it. And Owen, you guys got you know paired together, played together, I should say, at the at the Bass Pro Legends of Golf in 2019. What brought the two of you together? We like to drink wine. He's a good man. Uh, I like Roger. We've had a lot of fun together. He's got, he's got one of the nicest golf swings you'll ever see. He's a gentleman, uh, the proper English gentleman. And, uh, 
just one of those kinds of people that easy to spend time with. I know, and here we are. It's obviously Masters Week, so I'd, I'd like to get some of your memories of playing at Augusta National. You played in the tournament a few times, I believe the first time being in 1998. But what do you remember about turning off Washington Road and driving up Magnolia Lane for the first time? Well, I heard you say in your intro that it's your favorite week of the year golf-wise. And I, I think that's true for a lot of people. I mean, Augusta National is the only course that hosts a major every single year. You know, you, you come off Washington Road, uh, which is a typical kind of like boulevard in the south. And there are hotels, there are waffle houses, there are merchant stores and so forth. And you pull into Magnolia Lane. It's a very small sign with pillars. And you walk in or you drive down the road. And it's like, if you're a golfer, it's almost like a spiritual experience. It's an incredible uh, rush the first time you do it. And you see this beautiful white clabbered understated clubhouse. You walk in, everybody there is so uh, welcoming and um, excited for the event. You walk into the clubhouse, and you walk out the other side, and instead of being at ground level, you're looking down at the golf course. Everything is below the level of the clubhouse. I mean, literally every single hole. And uh, it just catches you off guard because you come in on a flat main drag, and you find out when you go through the clubhouse that you're on top of a hill. and then. You know, the first thing that hits you is is a blast from a wisteria growing in the trees that that are located right next to the clubhouse. There's an enormous oak tree right behind, and a putting green, and then there's first tee that goes perpendicular to the clubhouse to the right, uh, and then the ninth hole comes right back just below that, and then of course ten tee is over to the left, and you can see seven green in the distance. And from the top of that hill, you can see a piece of almost every hole on the golf course. It's just an unbelievable place. And the first time that you go there uh, is something that, that, as a player, you never forget. How did you go about learning the golf course and those greens the first time you played there? Well, it's like trying to cram for a calculus test in one night. I mean, it's not going to happen. You know, you get there, <laughs> first of all, you're overwhelmed. It's sensory overload because it doesn't matter how much you've gone there. Uh, and one of the little perks about Augusta, and the Masters is that everybody who qualifies is invited as a member up until as soon as the golf course opens, you, you can go there and practice as many times as you want. And the problem with that is that, you know, it opens in November. Uh, in November and December and January, February, the places, it's cold and, and the air is heavy and the course plays forever and the greens have not near the speed that they do in the tournament. The grass is a little longer than the fairway. So while you can actually walk on the ground, get a feel for it underfoot, you can't get any any clue what it's going to play like tournament day. For that matter, it changed from Wednesday of tournament week to Thursday morning, and God help you from Thursday morning to Sunday afternoon. I mean, the, the course has a, a, it's got, you know, it's like multi-personality, and uh, it's just one of those kinds of places. And, and by the way, the Masters Committee, they have a very firm hold on what they on what they present and what they want to present and the challenges that they want to offer the players. And it, it's, it's got so many faces and so many moods that uh, there's no way that you could possibly prepare properly the first time they walk through the doors and onto the ground. You made the cut there in 99, but the final round, and I don't recall it, but the final round must have been brutal. I mean, guys were shooting 77, 78, 81, 83. What was that final round like? Well, it's automatic. I mean, you're going to shoot 81 day there. I mean, if you're, 
you know, if you're just a little bit off. The greens are at such speeds, and the texture of the greens, they're so firm. I mean, the first year that I that I played there was 1998, and the first round we had wind gusts in the mid 50s which made it wow. almost impossible to figure out where it was coming from because they swirl, how hard it was blowing. I mean, you could have, like, number 12, we got to number 12, I remember Jay Haas played in the group right in front of me, and there was a little bit of a backup, as you might imagine. And he backed off his shot two or three times and then hit a shot after watching the first ball in the group go over the green. He hit the green, and the look of relief on his face was just extraordinary. There was no joy in it. He was just thrilled that he got it on green grass. And then the next guy hit it in the water. And so there, there's so many, there's so much variety and variation to what happens in a given round on that golf course. Um, and it takes, it takes years really to learn how to play it properly. But, um, the, the golf course is, is, is one of those unique places in golf. Uh, and there are only a handful of them that are so iconic that, that, you know, they resonate with every golfer. The old course at St. Andrews, Pebble Beach. Augusta National, uh, to name just a few, you know, and we don't see great championships at places more like Cypress Point or Seminole or Pine Valley, but, you know, they've been part of the history of the game and Shell's wonderful world of golf and other championships and so forth. But to have the same championship every single year and the opening major of the year every single year at a golf course like Augusta, you know where the putts break without having played a practice on because as a fan, we've all been watching it for however long we've been a fan of golf. And I think it's great that, you know, for years and years, we couldn't see the front nine, nothing ever was shown until the back nine, and now we can see all of the golf course, and it's magnificent in its presentation. Just to take that last comment, or a comment you made a moment ago, the, the swirling wind. For all of us that have dreamed one day of standing on the 12th tee and trying to hit that golf shot, how do you gauge the wind? Because to your point, it swirls in there, and and we've all seen examples of the flag blowing one way on eleven, but a different way on twelve. How do you try to figure out which club to pull? Well, you know, it's really funny because it's a court. It's called the Amen Corner for a reason. It's in a corner, <laughs> uh, and it wasn't Warren who coined it. Uh, I, I could be mistaken, but it was somebody like that. That whoever it was that finished playing eleven, twelve, and thirteen breathe such a sigh of relief that it became Amen Corner. But anyway, the 12th green is at the bottom of a hill. So 10 is a really downhill dog. 11 is also downhill. And then 12 is a J, the T is adjacent to the 11th green. It goes towards Augusta Country Club. And then at that point, the players make a 180 degree turn and come back and play 13 tee shots. And so it's at a point in the golf course, the bottom of a hill, You've got 100-plus foot pine trees everywhere. you got the wind that whips down an open hole on 13, hits the trees behind the green, then comes back on the players on 12 on the tee shot and back up the hill on 11. Conversely, if it's downwind, you back off, you know, bangs against the trees and turns around and comes with the players on 13. So I think it was Ben Hogan who said he never pulled the trigger on 12 tee until he felt the wind on his left cheek, whatever it is, whatever the lore is, I don't know. You know, those things get lost in transmission, but... It's one of those kind of things where, you know, you start thinking about the tee shot on 12 while you're worried about hitting the green on 11. It's an incredibly difficult shot. And you just, it's one of those kinds of holes. It's 55 yards. You know, you could practically throw a baseball from the tee to the green. But it's one of those kind of holes that just gives you the willies. It's short. The green is not very deep. 
It's a horizontal presentation. There's a bunker in front with water, and there's trouble behind. People have actually hit a shot that looked beautiful, and the ball sailed, and they lost it over the green and the ivy behind the green. So anything can happen on that hole. And it's just one of those kind of things where you, you step up there, you make your decision, you commit to your shot, and then you cross your heart and pray for the best. <laughs> in those first two appearances that you had there, Gene Sarris and Sam Snead, Byron Nelson were all still the honorary starters. You sneak out there and watch them hit that shot? Does a one-legged duck swim in a circle? <laughs> Hell yes. I love your analogy. So the first year, the first year that I was there, I brought my son inside the clubhouse, and Gene Saracen was sitting there in his green jacket and his plus fours. And I walked up to him, Sarazen, my name is Owen Brown. First time I've ever been invited to Augusta National. I just wanted to shake your hand, tell you what, what an honor it is to meet you. My son, this would have been in 1998, would have been nine years old, going to turn 10. And I looked at him, and he was an avid golfer at that time. My son loved golf, young professional now, played on the corn fair. He's trying to work his way up. And I said, oh, do you know who this man is? And he looked at me, and of course, he was nine years old. He didn't have a clue. And I go, this is Gene Sarris, and he hit the most famous shot in the history of the Masters Tournament. When he won the tournament, he holds his second shot on the 15th hole. And my son just looked at him, and he goes, wow. So those are the kinds of experiences. Golf is a hand-me-down game, and it's a hand-me-down face-to-face around a table with a drink in your hand. It's not something that you can glean from a book. It's something from shaking a man like that shaking his hand and looking him in the eye, having to say, nice to have you here, or very nice to meet you. And th- that's the beauty of this game, and it's why it's held in such reverence by the people who love it. And uh, I'm one of those people. Did you play in the par threes and have uh, Junior on the back? The first year, uh, we were playing in the par three, and Junior was actually shagging bunker shot right there as we're warming up for Gary Player. And they blew the horn. Wow. And so you've never seen a longer face in your whole life. We got photographs of it right now. And he looks like, he looks like his life had come to an end. And thankfully I qualified. I won Hartford in, in uh, 98 and, and was invited back and we were able to play in the part three tournament, play with John Houston and, um, Paula Azinger. And, uh, it's one of my most cherished memories. And then of course in uh, 2006 when I, when I earned my way back. I have my daughter, Alexandra, on the back, too. So I've had both of my kids and uh, uh, caddy for me in the Masters Part 3 tournament. So at the age of 61, if I ever get into another tour event and I can find a way to win it uh, and get invited back to Augusta, then it's my wife's turn the next time. Oh, and just a couple more before I let you go. And, and I want to ask you about the tee shot on 18 there because it looks really intimidating <clears throat> to me. You've got sort of that narrow shoot to drive the ball through. Is that a tough tee shot for you guys, or is it easy because you're just going to hit straight up the, at the bunker? Well, it, it's shocking how narrow it is between the trees. I mean, uh, it, it, the, first of all, these, you've got to see these Georgia pines to be in person to believe them. I mean, they're well over 100 feet tall, and they crowd the fairway. So even if even if they're set back off the fairway, their limbs are encroaching. And so it, it is just an incredibly intimidating tee shot, not to mention the fact can change its personality from one day to the next. Uh, I remember the last time I was in the I was regularly hitting six irons into the green, and then the weather conditions changed overnight, and the rains came in, and it played much, much longer and into the wind. 
played with Ben Crenshaw on Saturday. Neither one of us get home in two. And so, wow. um, the, the hole is really, it's really intimidating. Not only do you have to hit a perfect tee shot line wise, but you better bust one out there so that you, you know, get a chance to get home too. Owen, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you on social media. Well, I'm on Twitter, uh, just Owen Brown. I do some TV work. I do my, my, uh, couple annual Christmas Carl, uh, <laughs> radio shows and a couple other podcasts and, uh, and uh, really have a good time every time we get a chance to visit. And I look forward to the next time we can do it. Ah, so do I. And just as a side note, folks, of all of the individual segments that that I cut up and put out on the, on the website last year, the number one viewed, Owen Brown. So thank you very much for that, Owen. What, 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 what were we talking about that made everybody tune in? I mean, was it 8500 a week? Were you talking about car racing? or <laughs> <laughs> it was actually last fall when we were talking masters, so we're right back at the same spot. I hope I get the same number of listens this time, too. Owen, thank you so much, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Stay safe out there, and I'm looking forward to time number 10. Time number 10 on the way. Be well, Chris. Take care. Best to everybody. Thank you, Owen. That's the great Owen Brown, one of my absolute favorites, not only here on the show, but to watch him play golf. The guy's got a, a fantastic golf swing. Uh, his son, Owen Brown Jr., coming in right behind him. I'm rooting hard for that kid to, to get through. Uh, I know he's been out on the McKenzie Tour, now on the Corn Ferry Tour. Hopefully, uh, we see him out on the PGA Tour soon. And, boy, wouldn't that be something to see Owen Brown and Owen Brown Jr. playing in a Masters tournament with the mom on the bag. I wonder I wonder which bag she'd choose. But it would be uh, a huge thrill, I know, for Owen. But it would be great to see that happen. 